Thank you for tuning in to our Wednesday evening service here at Pleasant Valley South Baptist Church. Tonight I'm going to be finishing up a four-part sermon series from Romans 8, which I titled, No Condemnation. In this passage, referred to as the most hopeful declaration in all of Scripture, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, announces the marvelous good news that for Christians... There is now, nor will there ever be even a hint of condemnation, neither sentencing nor punishment for the sins that believers have committed or will ever commit. This is the heart and the soul of the gospel, that Jesus completely and permanently paid the debt of sin and the penalty of the law, which is condemnation to death. For every person who humbly asks for mercy and trust in him. We've seen in the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 8, the emphasis is on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which the Bible says takes place at salvation. Of course, this is the fulfillment of the Lord's promise in Acts 1.8, that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So we have the fullness of the power of God within us ready to be released. Starting with verse 12, the emphasis shifts to the Christian's responsibility to release the power of the Holy Spirit that he or she might be victorious over sin in this life. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, as we have in the past, we will read verse 1, and then tonight we're going to be skipping down to verses 12 through 14. So Romans chapter 8, 1, and then 12 through 14. I'll be reading out of the New King James translation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Join me in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word tonight. And God, We just continue to rejoice over your truth that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit and the fullness of your power indwelt us at salvation. And tonight, Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit's leadership as we seek to understand what it means to surrender our all to your Holy Spirit, that we might be directed, led, and accomplish your will through him who lives within us. So we just thank you in advance, God, for how you're going to teach us through your word tonight. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. In this message, we will kind of work towards a biblical understanding of how we can release the fullness of the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. 
And it begins with a realization that all believers are, first of all, debtors to the Spirit. The meaning of the word translated debtors in verse 12 there is more clearly understood in the NIV, which translated, it translates it as having an obligation. So we see here that as believers in Christ, our obligation is not to the flesh, but rather to the Spirit. In other words, we owe nothing to the flesh. We owe everything to the Spirit who lives in us. So we are debtors of the, to the Spirit. I want us to pause here a moment for a brief review. We've already seen in verses 1 through 10 that we are to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. That by walking in the flesh, we can never please God. And that the end result of walking in the flesh is death. But the result of walking in the Spirit is life, both here in this life and life eternal. So verse 11 then serves as a transition verse from the blessing of the Holy Spirit's indwelling to the responsibility of believers to release the power of the Holy Spirit in order that we might experience the fullness of his power. Verse 11 says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Sometimes I think we don't believe that. Let me say that again. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Singer-songwriter Jeremy Kemp wrote a song in 2015 titled Same Power, and it's still popular today. I want to I I read you the powerful lyrics in the refrain of that song. It says, The same power that rose Jesus from the grave the same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us. It lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea lives in us. He lives in us. Now, if that is true, why is it that the majority of believers today never experience that kind of power working in and through them? How the, the question has to be, how is that power released? If we have that power that rose Jesus from the grave, how is that power released? How is it put to work in our lives? Well, it begins with a death to the deeds of the body. Look at verse 13, the last part of verse 13, Romans 8, 13b. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. Although it's not as an exhaustive list, Paul identifies some of these deeds of the body, which he refers to as members. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. And in Colossians 3, 5, Paul gives us these deeds of the body. He says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. As Dr. David Jeremiah notes, this is not a one-time act. Throughout the believer's life, 
The sins in these verses will be put to death through the work of the Spirit until the day when Christ makes all things finally and forever new. This requires on our part a conscious, continuous action to put to death through the power of the Holy Spirit these evil fleshly deeds. Because as long as we are in this flesh, we're going to deal with those. And instead of letting them overwhelm us and control us, then Paul says we are to put them to death. A verse which vividly describes this action is found in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Here again, the apostle Paul writing, and he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, I, I love my study Bibles. I have, I don't know, probably four or five, but I guess my favorite study Bible is the Jeremiah study Bible written by Dr. David Jeremiah. Of course, in the New King James translation, which I prefer. But throughout the Jeremiah study Bible, there are sections that he, he calls for reflection. In other words, it's, taking a, uh, uh, it's, it's reflecting on a passage of Scripture or a, or a verse uh, in, in the Bible and, and giving us some insights. One explaining Romans 8.13 shares these following insights. He's talking about the Roman sentence of crucifixion. As Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. The Roman sentence of crucifixion lends insight into the nature of how we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Number one, crucifixion was personal, focused on an individual. We must put to death the deeds of our own flesh by walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, crucifixion was painful. He writes, we fool ourselves if we think the habits and desires of the flesh will die without a struggle. They will not. And then point number three, crucifixion is pitiless. There is no turning back once the process begins. Victims of crucifixion were not removed from the cross until they were dead. And then he writes, we must be just as merciless in putting to death the deeds of our flesh. Another verse which describes this process of self-sacrificing, of dying to self in order to live for Christ is Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. In Romans 12, 1, Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, whereas a sacrifice usually required the death of that which was being offered, we are to be a living sacrifice in our bodies, one that is acceptable to a holy God. The obvious question here is, how is that possible? For in the flesh, it seems impossible. Dr. Charles Stanley wrote a book a few years ago entitled The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life. And he wrote, 
in that book that the Christian life is not simply difficult. It is not something that gets easier with time. It is not something you grow into. It is impossible. You can't live it. I can't live it. God doesn't expect us to live it. He knows it's impossible. Jesus knew it was impossible. It is time we come to grips with this liberating truth. It is impossible. Think about the commands Jesus gave his followers in the Sermon on the Mount. You don't have to turn there, but let me just remind you of some of the things Jesus commanded us as his followers to do as we live in this life on this earth. In Matthew 5, 38, listen to this. He said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. That's an easy thing to do, isn't it? If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And if those sayings aren't difficult enough, listen to verses 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And in the flesh we say, you have got to be kidding. That's impossible. And that's exactly right. Dr. Stanley's exactly right. Absolutely. It is impossible for us to live the Christian life in our own strength and power and human abilities. And I'm afraid that's what happens many times in the life of a new Christian. You know, when you're first saved, you're all, all excited about coming, uh, becoming a child of God, your sins forgiven, the gift of eternal life, and, and you, you kind of operate on adrenaline for a little while. You, 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 you work and you, you strive and you want to tell everyone about Christ, but after a while you run out of that own adrenaline, that own power, and you begin to get discouraged. And you see, if you read the Word of God, you see all those commands that Jesus gave us and you think, well, I might as well, I might as well quit. I might as well just give this up because it is absolutely impossible and we have to come to that point where we realize that it is impossible. So if we do have the power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, the same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea living in us, as Jeremy Kemp said, why do we live such powerless and ineffective Christian lives? Because the manifestation of such power in our lives requires, listen to this, a daily filling of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 14 of Romans chapter 8. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now to be led, we must be willing to follow, right? 
That same phrase, led by the Spirit, is found in Galatians 5, 18, where we read, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, as used here, that phrase, led by the Holy Spirit, is synonymous with being filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen as I read these differences between being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which again, we said happens at our salvation. So the difference between being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit happens once at salvation, as we've said. The filling of the Holy Spirit can happen many times throughout our lives. The indwelling is a past event. The filling, a present reality. The indwelling is for all believers. The filling is for obedient believers. The indwelling is never commanded in Scripture. The filling is commanded in Scripture. The indwelling places the believer in the body of Christ. The filling enables the believer to live for Christ. The indwelling is identification with Christ. The filling is fellowship with Christ. And one more. The indwelling is an instantaneous act of God at salvation. The filling is a repeated experience when a believer is fully yielded. So the difference in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit You know, looking in the book of Acts, we see that on the day of Pentecost, in fulfillment of the Lord's promise that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, the disciples and the other believers present were both indwelt and filled with the Holy Spirit, as we read in Acts chapter 2. However, in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, we see that Peter was once again filled with the Holy Spirit. Then right on down in verse 31 of chapter 4, we see that everyone present, including Peter, were once again filled with the Holy Spirit. If we think about the life of Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul after he met Christ on the road to Damascus, in Acts 9, 17, Saul was indwelt and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 13, 9, Paul was again filled with the Holy Spirit. So in Ephesians 5.18, where we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the verb translated be filled in the Greek means literally, listen to this, be being kept filled. Be being kept filled, indicating a continuous action, something that's going to happen over and over in our lives if we desire to live an obedient, victorious Christian life. I recently heard Dr. James Merritt, who is the pastor of Cross Point Church in Duluth, Georgia, former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He preached a message on this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He started off by saying, you cannot live the Christian life fully unless you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Commenting on how rare a spirit-filled Christian is today, he said, the average Christian is so subnormal that when he becomes normal, everybody thinks he's abnormal. He went on to say, the Holy Spirit can be in you and not over you. In other words, the Holy Spirit is resident in every believer, but he is not president in every believer. The issue 
Listen to this. The issue is not how much of the Holy Spirit you have, but rather how much the Holy Spirit has of you. Stated another way, the issue is not that we receive more of the Holy Spirit, but that the Holy Spirit receives more of us. And that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we surrender our will and our way to the Holy Spirit. Not that we receive more. We receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit at salvation. And he's resident within us. But in order to be in control, it takes a a conscientious submission to the will of of the Holy Spirit as we are filled by him. You know, one one of the best illustrations I have seen of a spirit-filled Christian is a glove. Just just think about a glove. Until a glove is filled by a hand, it is powerless and useless. That glove can do nothing in its own power. It is designed to do work, but it can do no work by itself. It works only as the hand controls and uses it. The glove's only work is the hand's work. It does not ask the hand to give it an assignment, then try to complete the assignment without the hand. Nor does it gloat or brag about what it used to do because it knows the hand deserves all the credit. Listen to this. A Christian can accomplish no more without being filled with the Holy Spirit than a glove can accomplish without being filled with a hand. That's good. That's good. It takes the filling of the Holy Spirit in order for us to perform, to accomplish the work that the Lord has called us to do. You know, I'm reminded when I look at that illustration, I'm reminded of John 15, 5. You don't have to turn there, but many of you know this verse. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. You know, the apostle Paul said, in Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus said before then, you can do nothing without me. And so that's why the Lord sent his Holy Spirit. You know, we've talked about it before in the previous messages, but Jesus said that I must leave you. He was telling his disciples, I must depart from you. And it's to your benefit that I do that because if I do not part, then I cannot send the Holy Spirit who will not only be with you, but he will be in you. And he will empower you to do all that I call you to do. You know, I wasn't a a physics whiz in school. um, But I do remember a little bit about physics. I actually looked this up to make make sure it it was still correct as I remember it. But taking a lesson from basic physics, the indwelling Holy Spirit is likened to potential energy which is defined as energy stored in an object due to its position. You think about it. Positionally, Christians are Holy Spirit indwelt children of God. As again, we said, when we were saved, we received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is likened to kinetic energy, energy, which is defined as energy that a moving object has due to its motion, or if you will, released energy. 
The power of the Holy Spirit, which is present in us, is released when we habitually and continually surrender our all to his leadership in our lives, thus being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, that sounds so simple now. And all of these excuses we use for not living an obedient Christian life, according to what we've seen this morning, it's all dependent on our surrender to the Holy Spirit on a regular basis and being filled with the Holy Spirit, where we do not get more of the Holy Spirit, but he gets more of us. You know, our, our daily routine, if you will, should be in the morning even before we get out of our bed. We should confess our sin because, as the Bible said, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we sin, we continue to sin. We should confess our sin and then ask the Lord to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And if we trust him to do that, you know, Jesus doesn't promise anything that he won't do. And he knows that that is absolutely necessary for us. So when he commanded through Paul for us to be filled, he knows it's absolutely necessary for us. So when we ask him to fill us with his Holy Spirit, he will do that. And then those things that seem to be impossible will become possible. Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us to accomplish God's purpose in our life. No condemnation. We should be so thankful that there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. There's no judgment coming for us because Jesus paid that all. That is so much to celebrate. But I'm so thankful that God, through his Holy Spirit and through Paul's writing, has shown us that, yes, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis, that we might be all that he's called us to be. We're living in a dark world. There's trouble all around us. And sometimes we're overwhelmed. But the promise of the Lord that he will fill us with his Holy Spirit, so that even in the midst of all these trying situations and circumstances we find ourselves in, we can still be Christ to those around us. We can influence others for Jesus Christ. The victorious Christian life can only be accomplished through a continual filling of the Holy Spirit. And we thank the Lord that that is how we can be used of him to make an impact in this world. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word tonight. And God, it's, it is so liberating. As Charles Stanley said, it's, it's, it's a liberating realization that the Christian life, to live the Christian life is impossible. It's liberating because we know that you've made it possible through your Holy Spirit. So, Father, I, I thank you for that tonight, and I pray that we as your children will daily seek the filling of your Holy Spirit so that we can impact others for you. Be that light in a dark world 
to influence others for you, that your name may be glorified. Thank you, Father. We love you. And we pray this prayer in faith and thanksgiving in the name of our Savior, your Son, Jesus. Amen.